0: i need to start weightlifting or something like that to get this pulpit holy smokes something all right isn't it good to worship together this morning i really appreciate our worship band and scott um russell and just all the all that they've done to bring a a sunday morning experience home to us into our homes and they they have been so faithful but it's good Good To be here this morning, and um, what a great and glorious day this is. And it's great to be celebrating with you in person, but also at home. I know that there's people ser- watching right now at home, and I pray a blessing on, on each one. Um, I think that uh, it's going to be a while before we get back to normal. Maybe there's going to be a, a new normal out there, but I pray that for each one, every Sunday morning is an encouragement. It's an encouragement for what God is what God is doing. And a reminder that God is in control, isn't he? He's in control. We serve a God that never says, oops, that never says, I didn't see that coming. He's got a plan even for a time such as this. And if we allow him to, he's going to turn something good, something great into what's going on. And I, I love that song that we just sang, you know, we serve a God that is running after me, running after you, running after us, and he is good and he's good all the time. All right. And um, I have entitled the sermon today, Success or Significance? Success or Significance. What are we going to run after? Success or we're going to run after significance? And our text is going to be out of Luke 12, 13 through 20, 13 through 21, if you want to go, go there. All right. In March of 1993, a photographer named Kevin Carter made a trip to the southern Sudan where he took, on, took this now iconic photo of a vulture preying upon this emaciated Sudanese little girl near the small village of Ayad. Carter said that he had waited 20 minutes just for that vulture to open his wings, as if he was going after this little girl. It never did. But Carter snapped this haunting photograph and then he chased that vulture away. Within that month, that photograph was sold to the New York Times where it appeared for the very first time as a metaphor for, the Africa, for Africa's despair. Kevin Carter in a single photograph became renowned for, as a great photographer because of this haunting photograph. But there was something that haunted him after the photograph because he he received criticism for not helping the girl i mean there were so many reasons not to help the girl i mean he could have contracted a disease that is not why they were there he could have actually hurt the girl by helping her and what would it help anyways to pick up that girl to help that girl regardless of the reason kevin carter snapped that picture and then left. He sold it to the New York Times and it blew up. Eventually he won a Pulitzer Prize, the highest achievement in photographic journalism and it brought Kevin so much fame. It brought him so much notoriety. In all of the sense of the word, Kevin Carter had found success. He was one of the best. But Carter was never able to enjoy that success. He confided in a a few months before he died, I'm really, really, really sorry. I wish I would have helped that girl. And just consumed with what he saw and the question of that little girl's fate, just a few months after winning the Pulitzer Prize, being at the top of the world, Kevin Carter committed suicide. And I ask, or significance tom brady very possibly the greatest quarterback of all time i know i'd get brandon's uh, approval on that being a michigan grad go, go blue uh oh all right i'm not sure that uh that's it, tough to say here in buckeye land all right we're all one in christ we're all one in christ it's hard for me to say too, and Don would, Don would agree with this. I was always a Peyton Manning fan for whatever reason in that rivalry, but it's just hard to argue. It's hard to argue nine Super Bowls and six Super Bowl wins, but it was after that third Super Bowl that people were already telling Tom Brady he was the greatest of all times. And he sat down with a 60 Minutes reporter, and the reporter asked him what it was like to be Tom Brady. And Tom responded by saying this, I've got three Super Bowl rings, I've reached my goal, I'm living my dream. People are telling me, hey, this is what it's all about. But I was thinking after the Super Bowl, as the confetti was coming down, is this it Is this all there is? There's got to be more. And the reporter asked him, what is it? What is more? And he said, I don't know. I wish I knew. And I ask, success or significance? Rick Warren shares in a purpose-driven life, you cannot arrive at your life's purpose by starting with a focus on yourself. You must begin with God, your creator. You are made by God and for God. And until you understand that, life will never make sense. It is only in God that we discover our origin, our identity, our meaning, our purpose, our significance, and our destiny. Every other path leads to a dead end. It will not make sense. And that's a great metaphor for what we're going to be talking about today in Luke 12. The parable of the rich fool. In verse 13, it says this, it says that someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I want my share. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me to be judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Today is graduation Sunday and it's a day that we recognize the accomplishments of so many that have worked so hard. Accomplished so much, invested so much so that the doors of opportunity could be swung wide open. We're recognizing that a chapter in their life is closing, and then the next, next chapter, will it's yet to be written. It's a blank slate. And over the past few weeks and months, these graduates have probably heard many times, to follow your dreams, spread your wings and fly, the sky is the limit. You're going to hear advice such as success won't be given to you, but if you work hard enough, you'll be able to find success. But I'm a little little reluctant to share that same advice. I'm a little reluctant to say to take the world by its tail. The the world is your oyster. I'm a little reluctant to say follow your dreams. Happiness lies at the end of success. I'm a little reluctant to say those things because it's not the message of the Bible. That's not God's message. And we see over and over and over again in God's word how people got caught up in themselves. They got caught up in the pursuit of earthly success and it didn't end well for them. I mean, of course, that rich young fool who had so much earthly success and said, I have plenty of grain laid up for many of years. I will take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And we see how that ended for him not good the rich young ruler in matthew 19 had it all including even a morally faithful life but when jesus asked him to give it all he couldn't or at least he wouldn't it says that he walked away a sad man even solomon the wisest man to ever walk this earth started to pursue earthly pleasures he says that he built great buildings, he had beautiful gardens, he amassed great wealth, he acquired men and women to work for him. He had it all. In fact, he says that he denied himself nothing his eyes desired. He refused his heart no pleasure. And his heart took pleasure in all of his accomplishments, but yet whenever he surveyed all that he had done, whenever he looked back at all he had done at the end of his life, he said this in Ecclesiastes, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. And I could imagine that there is no worse feeling than to get to the end of your life and see all that you have done and all that you have accomplished and then have to say, well, that was stupid. What a waste. I wish I would have done this. Isn't that just a sinking feeling? Isn't that just a sinking thought? Well, I don't want, I don't want that for these graduates. I don't want that for anyone, and I know, I know that God doesn't. I know that God definitely doesn't want that for your life. And if I say, what are you talking about? Don't don't chase after success. From day one, we've been taught that we should shoot for the stars, aim high, dream big, be all that you can be. And what I'm saying is that I'm not saying that success is wrong. I'm not saying that success is bad. I'm, what I'm saying is be careful of your definition of success. In Mark 8, it says, "What good is it for man to profit the whole world, to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his very own soul. Our verse for the graduates today is Proverbs 16:3, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans." Over and over and over again, and Bible translators use this phrase to interpret, establish your plans. He says, your plans will succeed. When will your plans succeed? Your plans will succeed whenever you commit yourself to the Lord. Whenever you commit your ways to the Lord, you will find success in His eyes. A success that is lasting. Your life will not only have success, but it will also, more importantly, have significance. Jesus tells us in Matthew to seek first his kingdom and and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. And so instead, I'm more inclined this day to urge you to ask this question. So what does God want for me in this life? What does God want me to do with my life? Dare to be different and allow him to paint on that blank canvas. Allow him to be at the center of all your decisions. Allow him to make your life into his masterpiece. And I urge you to dare to ask, what does God expect of me? Your life will be so much different if you allow him to be part of that answer. I think that there are a few principles that we can quickly pull from that story of the rich young fool that will help us along this path that that will lead each one of you to life. The first thing is this, live life with passion. Live life with passion. This is the time to live. Find what you love to do, and it's okay. It is okay to have fun. It is okay to live, to take a detour now and then. I love the story of Eric Eric Little. Eric Little won the gold medal medal in the 1924 Olympics, running for Great Britain. And he was made famous by the movie, Chariots of Fire. If you haven't seen that movie, go and see it. He was called the joyful runner. Whenever he ran, there was a smile on his face. Now for me in my life, a fun run is an oxymoron. <laughs> We've been trying to stay, shape, stay in shape in this pandemic and Avery and I have gone on many many runs. And not one of them have we come back and we've said, that was fun. Not, not one time, all right? We have said, I think I'm going to throw up, all right? Several times we have, we have said that. But Eric Little was the joyful runner. He loved to, to run. And he grew up on a mission out in, in China. And he knew that God was calling him back to this mission. He went to school, to boarding school in, in, in Great Britain, and uh, his sister Jenny, whenever he was through school, expected Eric to come back, and he was. She was urging him to come back to that mission. Yet he was running competitively, and he said to his sister Jenny, "Jenny, I know, I know that God has made me for a purpose, but He's also made me fast. And whenever I run, I feel His pleasure." And Eric was able to use his running. Use his passion to share Christ with so many, so many people. Ben Franklin once said, men, many men die at 25, but they just don't get around to burying them until they're 75. And it was St. Irenaeus that said that the glory of God is man fully alive. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus says that I have come so that you may have life and you might, have, might live it abundantly. And I fully realize that that a full life with Jesus, you know, he was not talking about going bungee jumping or hang gliding. I realize that. But I do think that a fully realized salvation includes embracing the everyday awesomeness in this world. The everyday awesomeness that your abilities and your passionates have. Whatever that means to you. It's living this life with Passion. It's a vital part of living a life that matters, that carries significance. We need to live that life with passion. The next thing is this to live a life of humility. And this is not an easy one. As long as you're living in the flesh, you are going to struggle with pride. You're going to struggle with me first. What about me? But in Philippians 2, Paul writes that even though Jesus was God's very Son, Jesus made Himself nothing taking on the very nature of a servant he humbled himself even to death on a cross and it's that kind of humility that was good for jesus and if it's good for jesus it should be good for us and i challenge you i challenge each one of you to always put others interests before your own to be a servant to do others to do to others what no one else will take up for the weak and the outcast in a world whose mantra is Me first. You can never underestimate the impact that humility can make on the world around you. Know this, that people matter to God. All people. And all people should matter to us, especially the weak and the oppressed. It is not without reason that Jesus said the first will be last and the last will be first. God is warning us that he doesn't want us to say, he doesn't want us to ever have to say, I really, really... Wish I'm really, really sorry I didn't help the girl. That I didn't pick up the girl. I don't want to be that priest or Levite that walks by on the other side. I want to be that one that God honors that stops and he helps out the one that is in need. Live a life of humility. Put others before yourself. Thirdly this, live a life with purpose. There's a very profound spiritual truth that we all need to understand that and accept is that we, were, that we were created for a purpose. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, your life does not belong to you. Let me say that again. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, your life does not belong to you. There has been a great exchange made. Christ gave his life for yours. If you have accepted this sacrifice, um, and if you have accepted his sacrifice on your behalf, your life no longer belongs to you. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that you are bought at a price. He goes on to say, if anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. We can't walk, we can't keep walking around living like a dead person. Our old life with all our self Selfish desires and trivial concerns is gone. It is dead. Our new life is a life of meaning. It's a life of grace. It's a life of purpose. And it's a life of significance. In Matthew, Jesus tells us to let our light shine before men so that they may see our good works and praise our Father in heaven. For the graduates on this day, these next few weeks, these next few months are critical. And the scary thing is this. There are things out there that there is no way that your parents could have prepared you enough for. Satan is very real and he knows your weaknesses. And he'll do anything. He'll do anything to derail you from God's plan, God's good and pleasing plan. And so what is it going to take What is it going to take? If you could ask for anything to help you along the way, what would it be? Would it be a stronger faith? Would it be determination? Would it be wisdom? Would it be a better work ethic? And all those are good, but I want you to know that when it comes to your success in this world, in in God's eyes, that the power is already in you. You have everything that you need for the task at hand. Ephesians 2.10 says, For you are God's handiwork. You are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for you to do. The power is in you. You have everything you need to make an impact. God said that he will be with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You have everything you need. He is there. That same Holy Spirit that God promises disciples is also in you. You have everything you need. He lives inside of you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. The power is in you. You have everything you need. He has a plan for you, and His way is the best way. Second Peter says His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through him you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in this world caused by evil desires. The power is in you. You have everything that you need. The question remains... Are you going to build your kingdom or are you going to be part of building God's kingdom? Are you going to choose to serve or to be served? Are you going to choose earthly success or godly significance for your life? And I pray for for this world's sake, for your family's sake, and most definitely for your sake that you choose significance that you passionately live out your purpose. I want you to know that there's three great days in your life. The day that you were born, your parents can attest to what a miracle you are. That day that you were reborn, that you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you said, I'm going to live for him. And then that day that you figured out why you were born, why you were put on this earth, what your task is to do, and I pray that your eyes and ears are open, your heart is open to whatever that may be, and that you're able to recognize his voice and know that he is friend, know that he is love, know that he is good, and know that there's a great promise for whatever that task is, if you follow it, there's going to be no regret that you're going to find significance at the end of it. Only one life, and it will soon pass, only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that we could be in your house today and worship together as a family. And I know that there's others online right now that are together with us, worshiping with us, honoring you, worshiping you, and growing in your word, Lord. We thank you for how your word speaks to us. And we know that you've got a great plan for each one of us. Help us to stay strong in you. Help us to encourage one another. Help us to keep each other accountable. Help us to continue to grow in you. Help us to understand your plan and your purpose. And help us not to chase after earthly success. I know that that's a great, um, uh, great temptation for each one of us. Comfortability is a great temptation. Help us always to chase after your goodness and your love and your plan and your purpose. I pray for these graduates today on graduation Sunday. You've brought them so far. But you've got to plan to take them so much further. And I pray that someday they don't look back with regret and say, I wish I would have, but rather be able to say, I'm so glad that I allowed you to be a part of my plan. I'm so glad I followed you. You are the way. You are the truth. And you are the life. We thank you for guiding us each and every step, no matter how difficult. We thank you for carrying us through life's most difficult times. You're good. We love you. We celebrate you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.